0: Can you hear me? Okay. Um, first of all, I'm going to begin by reading out of Acts four, twelve through 21. <clears throat> Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note. "...that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the men who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could, do, could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the San, Sanhedrin and then confess together." What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop them from spreading, the few, further, spreading anything further among the men, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus but peter and john replied which is right in god's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judge as for us we cannot speak about what we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard heavenly father we come to you with praise and thanksgiving we are so grateful for the work that you have done in countless lives but most of all we are thankful for the sacrifice you made to give us life That we come to you humble and weak, and I just continue to ask that thy will be done, not mine. For you are the ultimate healer. You have done the amazing things, and it is nothing of my will but your will that I'm able to be here today. Thank you. Through Jesus' name, amen. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak, teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, This is... In God's eye, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you be the judge. You know, my entire life I sat here and thought that I was under a microscope by being judged because of the way I looked, the place I was born, the environment I had. And the simple fact was, was I was uneducated and I'm still uneducated. Um, at five and a half years old, I experienced drugs and alcohol for the first time. I was born to an outlaw biker and a hippie mother. Um, and they were caught up in the same problems. But as through life, I continued to think that I was judged. I didn't have a choice, that this was my life. So, what ended up happening, by the time I was 30 years old, I was a three time felon. Um, I had done everything under the sun that it shouldn't be done. And I had no clue on how to live life because all I knew how to do was survive on the streets. I was raised, I was taught. And I grew up on the streets, and I knew how to survive. Um, it wasn't until I was 30 years old, August 2nd, 2006, that I was rescued. Um, and when I say I was rescued, it was because I just got arrested for the last time. And then I had this bright idea, as you see, I'm not a big guy, that I was going to take on the h- cops. Um, what ended up happening, I was thrown in isolation. And a week later, I met this man. And he came to me, and he says, Do you know Jesus Christ? I said, wait, hold on. (laughs) Don't come at me with that. Because if there's this all-powerful, all-loving God, why have I been where I've been, seen what I've seen, and done what I've done? I got nothing for him. He says, okay, I understand. I just want to visit. But a week later, he says, you know, you look off a board in here. Um, I just want to leave you this book. And all I'm asking you to do is do something with your time and read it. I'll never forget because he just asked me. All I want you to do is read two, two quotes in it. Two, I underlined it and everything for you. That night I sat there and I opened up this book. And it was right to the page that he had underlined. It was 2 Timothy 3.16-3.17. 3, 3, that God breathed life in the scripture. And what I read was that it can right all my wrongs. And it can equip me to do the next right thing. And to be completely equipped to do his work. That night was the first time in my entire life I ever hit my knees. And I said, okay, dude, what am I supposed to do now? And something happened. And something continued to happen and continued to happen. And when I found myself sitting in prison, I found myself being involved in these Bible studies. I found myself at 30 years old, as being a high school graduate, as you know being a criminal, has been attended colleges, had' done all these things, and I had never read a book in my entire life, and I found out that society had lied to me my entire life, that they do make a handbook for life, to teach me what is right and wrong, how to do things. And I found out that you know Jesus Christ loved me, and He had died to set me free from the bondage that I had put myself in. You know, as a result of that, I was sitting in prison, and they told me three things. You know, one thing they told me is nine out of ten of you are going to come back, and the one that makes it out is probably going to be in body bag. They said you're a habitual felon; you're never going to have a state job. You're never going to come back in the jails and prison. You got, you're a career criminal. And then at eight months in prison, when my daughter was born, addicted to drugs, they told me you were never going to hold her a kiss her goodnight. And I broke. For the first time in my life, I broke. You see, I had picked up it so young, I had never grown up spiritually, emotionally, or mentally. But for the first time in my life, I felt everything. I was happy, I was sad, I was scared, I was mad, and I realized, you know what, my choices do affect other people not just myself. I've been affecting my family, my community, my friends. So I surrendered completely, and God said, okay, now I can work on you. Completely broken, now I can rebuild you, and that's what he did. Three months out of prison, I got full custody of that baby girl. They said I'd never hold her kiss goodnight. A year later, I was back in the jails, and then I had been, somebody had been put in my life, And it was the first open and honest and real relationship I ever had. And she was just as crazy as me (laughs) because she had this dream. You know, we've never dreamed about winning the lottery, but we had a dream about saving lives because we had been there. We know the devastation. My name's Walter, and I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means is I haven't put drugs or alcohol within my system in the last 12 years. And by a result of Jesus Christ being my personal Lord and Savior, he has given me the ability to help other people. Because I know the devastation of addiction. We do have an opiate problem, but it's just a, a face to the plague. Because what we really have is an addiction plague. Plaguing our society, killing our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews, our neighbors. And if you think you haven't been affected by it, then you're blind to it. And I'm asking God to put it under your hearts, open your eyes, and see what it's really doing to our community. You know, I've had the boards in Preble County ask me, well, give us statistics. I said, go to the graveyard and look at the young kids that have died. Call the local, you know, paramedics and ask them how many overdoses they report to. Because, see, this thing just is not affecting the people using and abusing drugs. It's affecting our first responders, our sheriff's departments, our jails. And guess what we do? We keep covering it up. It ain't our problem. It's not affecting our community. It's not affecting me. Yes, it is. It's affecting your taxes. It's affecting your health care. It's affecting everything. It's affecting your neighbors, your churches, your homes, your schools. Everybody is affected. It's here. And now it's time to accept it. But there is a solution is that we accept that we have a problem we start doing something about it. See, we keep sending this problem to Wayne County, to Montgomery County, to Dart County, to Hamilton County. Guess what? We're losing opportunity to help save our own community. You know, in 2008, on January 15th, I was released from prison, and this is where I came. And you people loved me. You showed me and you taught me how to work hard, how to be responsible for myself, And it gave me the opportunity to give back. You know, I'm sick and tired of watching people die and the stain be covered up. So we have come together, and my wife was crazy enough. Because this is the thing, like I said, a lot of people talk about winning the lottery. We never have. We've dreamed about having a sobriety farm to save lives. And that's what we've done. We're a nonprofit organization called Next Step Living. And right now we're, you know in the process of finding the property. We think we have a chance to get a second property because the first one we went to our capital grant for the Board of Mental Health and Recovery, it sold that night. But what we want to do is have a facility for men for whenever they get out of jail, they get out of treatment, they're fighting with things that they can come to and not focus on what they got to do, as in their family, their community, to make amends. They're gonna focus on their self. And they're going to start getting up at 5 in the morning, and we're going to go out and feed the cows and the chickens and do these things. And then we're going to go to work, and we're going to work all day, and we're going to come home. And we're going to worship, and we're going to praise, and we're going to learn, and we're going to be taught how to take care of ourselves. And it's not something that we're just going to tell them to do. It's going to be something we show them how to do. See, because my wife and I, we've walked away from everything. She was an office manager for a physical therapist, and she quit her job, resigned to work at Recovery and Wellness so she could start doing prevention within the schools, took the pay cut, did all these things, took that step of faith to trust God. And it's got her in that field that we need to be in. You know, myself, I was working with the right state for 10 years, opportunity to send our kids to college, but you know... Things from Memorial Day, you know, our kids don't go to school, they keep going to the military. So we've raised our heroes. Um, but I walked away from that job with the benefits and everything to work with a local landscaper that we would have an opportunity to improve his business, help his business, that it gives these guys a place to work. But it's not just that. We've also, you know, encountered other businesses that are willing to support us. See, because we can't do this without the church, without the community? You know, it's like, well, I've never dealt with this. I don't have a part in it. If your grandson or your child or your niece or nephew needed some help, would you be there? Because that's what these people are, and they don't have families. They don't have the support. They don't have the direction. You know, when I came out of prison, I had a senator. I had a counselor. I had a sponsor. I had a mentor. I had a discipler. I had these people that I normally wouldn't have been with, and they helped me walk through all my problems and showed me how to live, how to take care of myself. And then as a result of learning how to take care of myself and overcoming my addiction, I learned how to be a productive member of society to give back. And that's what we want to teach these guys, that you know what, because if you want statistics, I can go through all the stuff. I've been educated on it. You know, it's men from 24 to 32 that are the prime white males in our communities that are the ones that are suffering. And it's not that they chose to put a needle in their arm or they chose to do this or that. It's something that progressively got worse throughout their life, and they've lost all ability to manage their own lives, let alone be a part of something else. They want to do the right thing. They just don't know how to do the right thing. They lost their ability to control their addiction. And this is the thing. We're asking that the community support us. We're asking that if you're misled or you don't understand that we brought information, our contact information, to get educated, to understand that, you know what, it's not getting any better. It's just going to continue to get worse until we accept that we have a problem, but there's something we can do about it. Our sober living facility is going to house these men. We're going to have very strict guidelines, and we're going to focus on recovery, on building relationships with people, and then getting a job. And once you have that, then you can start focused on making your financial amends to your community, to your children, but most of all, of how to make an amends to your family. It's not about what we say. It's about what we do, putting one foot in front of the other. My wife and I have took this step of faith, and we're scared as heck. You know, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm scared as heck to get up here. I mean, I'm shaking inside. Um... But it's what I've been given the gift to do is I know the devastation of addiction, but I know the amazing power in Jesus and what recovery holds. Hardest thing I ever did in my entire life is get sober. Best thing I've ever had is my sobriety and an ongoing progressive relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not a new podium pastor, but I'm definitely that Christian that Satan warned you about because I know what he's capable of. But I have an ultimate boss today that's able to overcome any lies and deceit that he does. You know, we're not perfect. We're asking for help. You know, I'm not asking just for financial support, but we're asking for people to become mentors. To, you know, if you own a business, you know, know somebody that needs help, you're able to contribute something, some time, some effort, some construction. You know, but most of all, we need advocacy. Because that's why I get to be here today and I'm going to go to other churches. And I'm going to the community first because, see, our community doesn't like to recognize we have a problem. So we need people to say, you know what, we know these people are going to do the right thing. We know what they're about. And that's what we want to do is we want relationships. Because when we go to the zoning board, when we go to the city hall, you know, we need to know that we're going to do something about this. And the community stands behind us. Because it's not going to go anywhere, it's just going to get worse. And today we've come up with a solution on how to save some lives. By introducing them to God, giving them a place to live, and teaching them how to live. And we don't do it alone. So with that, thank you for having me here. Thank you for this opportunity. most of all, thank you for Pastor Brody, because this man is amazing. He, he's seen a problem and he has attacked it. And he hasn't just attacked it you know, his self, but within his church and the ability, because this is the best network place there is. But he's advocating for other churches that, hey, you got to meet this guy. We know what this family's about. We've been watching them. The best thing that, you know, I was told was the director of the job and family services. She says, you know, I've met a lot of people talk about stuff, but I've never seen the people actually take the action. Yeah. And I can't do it without her, because that woman down there is amazing. She has done everything. I just know how to, you know, talk. She knows how to work, and she does the work. She, she's the, you know, hidden gem that I have in my life. So thank you. Thank you, Walter. Thank you very much.